Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Another edition of the Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlidge, a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, UND.com, among other outlets. I'm joined by Mason Plummer. You can find him at Mason Plummer 6, numeral 6 on Twitter. He's a gifted writer for SlapTheSign.com, does all things Notre Dame there. So we, we got you covered pretty well here. We're brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons Funeral Home, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mason is on the line, live from Ball State University, as always. Mason, what's going on, brother? Just trying to keep up with recruiting. It's been a crazy couple weeks. So I'm excited to talk some football with you. Yeah, exactly. At least the down period here. You Maybe you can catch your breath for a little bit has arrived. But indeed, junior day came and went. Signing day came and went. So a lot to talk about. Uh, men's hoops starting to roll along. Even the women have won a couple in a row. We're going to give you a defensive breakdown, a defensive depth chart breakdown. We did the offense a couple weeks ago. We're going to give you the defense today. But as we start every show, we're going to have a six-pack of blue gold nuggets for you. I'm going to start first, Mason. I'm going to start with John Mooney. I usually try to start with uh, some hoop. John Mooney, who was snubbed for the top 25 player of the year, the Naismith Player of the Year Award. At least he's been named as a 10 nominee list for the Carl Malone Power Forward of the Year. Uh, he's first in the ACC with 13 rebounds a game. Just to give you some perspective, the next closest guy is 9.4. <laughs> so he's getting uh, almost three, uh, almost four rebounds more per game. And he's fifth in the league in scoring at 16.5. 18 double-doubles. Certainly, I think he will be looked at for this award. And it is a prestigious award considering one Zion Williamson from Duke won it last year. Mason, what you got? I haven't heard of that Zion guy, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Notre Dame early enrollee freshman moved in this week, and uh, as Notre Dame showed on their Twitter at Notre Dame Football, they had a video of the guys kind of walking around, moving in and everything, and I, I thought their roommate pairings were interesting. Interesting. Uh, defensive end Riley Mills and quarterback Drew Pine are together. Wide receiver Xavier Watts and defensive end Alex Ehrenberger from Germany are together. And then Caleb Oford and defensive end Jordan Batelho are together. So, Todd, some interesting pairings there. Yeah, I wonder what goes into that. I wonder if they give any thought or if it's just pick your name out of a hat or if maybe these guys build relationships, you know, during the recruiting process and kind of give their request. NBC Sports, they have announced their game time, their kickoff time for the six home Notre Dame games and the -the on-the-road Shamrock Series game at Lambeau Field against Wisconsin. Used to always be 3.30s, but it's not so much anymore. Notre Dame will open the season, that's home season, September 12th at home against Arkansas, 2.30 p.m. Western Michigan, September 19th is also 2.30 p.m. A couple prime timers here, October 3rd, Wisconsin, 7.30, that's the Lambeau Field game. Stanford on October 10th is a 7.30 home game. And then Duke is a 3.30 on Halloween. Clemson, of course, the biggie. Needless to say, that's not a noon start. That's November 7th, 7.30 p.m. And they'll wrap up their home season November 21st, Louisville, at another 2.30 p.m. start. Mason. Former Notre Dame offensive coordinator Chip Long accepted a role as an offensive analyst at Tennessee late yesterday is when the news broke. It's somewhat of a homecoming for Chip Long. He was, uh, he was at Memphis as an offensive coordinator, a tight ends coach, before coming to Notre Dame in 2017 where he stayed until just a couple months ago. So 
some sort of a homecoming. Uh, I expect Chip Long to take a bigger role as he looks forward to 2021. Okay, is that what it is? I was going to say, because when you hear offensive an analyst versus offensive coordinator, certainly it sounds like a demotion. It's a year for him to kind of recollect himself and still sharpen his game, and then he'll he'll look to take a bigger role next season, whether that's at Tennessee or another big university. Gotcha. And later this month, we all know the Combine, the NFL Draft Combine, will begin in Indianapolis. It runs late February into March. Tony Jones Jr., former Irish running back, got some good news because he got an invite. And he will join what I believe is a very, it's a star-studded cast uh, of Irish players, former Irish players. Jones Jr. should join, I'm assuming, a lot of this. Jalen Elliott, safety. Elohi Gilman, safety. Khalid Kareem, obviously defensive lineman. Julian Aquara, defensive lineman. Troy Pride, cornerback. Wide receiver Chase Claypool and tight end Cole Komet. I don't know about Chris Fink. I kind of doubt he'll get an invite, as I doubt that Jameer Jones will get an invite and those are your blue gold nuggets. Mason, you mentioned at the top of the show recruiting. This is the big deal. Uh, this is that time of the year. Signing day came and went. I don't think any of us were expecting any sort of last-minute surprises or signings, and we didn't get them. And that's okay with Brian Kelly because he wants to do all of his work in December, and good for him. It's really worked well for Brian Kelly getting his classes in place during that early signing period now because it's allowed him to get out and about. So he was a, he did an interview with Rivals.com, and he talked about how, really, that's the mission of Notre Dame now. They don't want to be messing around with any last-minute recruits. You're either in in December or you're out, because unless there's some special circumstances, they don't seem to be all that interested in signing February guys. So here's about a minute 40 clip of Brian Kelly talking about exactly what happened back in December and what it's allowed him to do. It's allowed for me to have a better sense of the recruiting. Um, you feel a little bit more detached when when you don't have this early signing period, at least it has been for me, that I can direct it more. I can be more actively involved in positionally recruiting um, and don't feel like um, I'm not as, I guess, on top of every single recruit and know each one and, and uh, establish and start to build relationships with each one of them. It's hard to do that when you're not out in front of it. And so um, this is this has been really good for us here at Notre Dame. This is the second year now that we have signed everybody uh, at the quote-unquote early signing period, which has now become the signing period for us. It's, it's nice because it, it allowed me in the previous two weeks prior to the the, obviously the dead period to um, evaluate uh, for the first time in my you know 10 years here at Notre Dame over the last couple of years allows me to get out uh, to see you know the 20s and the 21s and you know we haven't had that luxury you know we've got you know 16 states 18 kids and so generally when it's in the February signing period I've had to essentially for the lack of a better word, babysit, if you will, during that period of time where no longer do I have to do that. I can get out front to the next year's class and, you know, begin uh, the evaluation and, you know, the relationship building, you know, through either a bump or text messaging on that next group. And it's it's obviously starting to take dividend. So the final rankings are out with the class completed. Obviously, what was an 18-man class became a 17-man class with Landon Bartleson bailing out because of some issues he had, uh, to put it mildly. Still a top 20 class. It was top 10 in December, 
But obviously Notre Dame didn't sign anybody. They lost Bartleson, and of those 17 guys, one of them's a long snapper. So it came in as number 14, according to ESPN, number 17, according to 247 Sports, and number 20, according to Rivals. Not exactly the stuff of legends. I think it was a smaller class because really that's all this team needed and allowed for. They feel like they filled needs. I'm not in love with the class, Mason, but give me your opinion. You're smarter at this stuff than I am. It's better than what we've seen in the past few years. You know, it's it's always been a kind of upward trajectory. But I found a lot of these guys are underrated, you know, severely underrated three stars. Your uh, your overall ranking gets kind of tanked by you have nation's number one long snapper rated as a super low three star. And, you know, it's all it's all uh, the classes are ranked by your average recruit. So then you have, then you have Alex uh, Ehrensberger from Germany, who is tough to recruit because he doesn't play football here. So, you know, there's a couple guys tanking the overall rating and bringing down a five-star like Michael Mayer, but I still like the class overall. I think it has a lot of potential. Like BK said in that clip, this allows him to get out and about more, something that Mason Plummer said a few weeks ago was going to be more important than anything when it comes to Notre Dame upgrading its recruiting, and that's getting the head coach on the turf to these schools, and certainly he's doing it. One of his big stops here last week was talking to uh, Will Shipley. What do we know about Will Shipley? Brian Kelly gets a team occasionally, but really it's been it's been Lance Taylor that he should have his own parking spot at Weddington High School where Will Shipley is. Lance Taylor has been there just about every week visiting this guy, making him feel like he is the massive prospect that he is. You know, it's not very often that Notre Dame's in the running and might even be in the lead for a five-star running back. You know, Chris Tyree was a five-star at the time that he committed, but that ended up falling due to senior year injuries and all that. But Shipley is no doubt about it, a five-star running back, and I don't see that changing. So Lance Taylor and Brian kind of making him feel like he's a priority. It seems like it's down to about a two- or three-team race at this point. Right. Notre Dame seems to be leading. This he, this guy's a game-changer. If you get Shipley and Tyree in the same backfield, that's, that's scary. That's national championship-type stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're talking about Will Shipley from North Carolina here. To, to go to your point, Mason, Brian Kelly was there on Tuesday – at the same time, Dabo Sweeney was there and Nick Saban was there. So, yeah, I would say this is a pretty coveted recruit. It does seem like Notre Dame and Clemson are, it's kind of a, I wouldn't want to call it a coin flip because Shipley is talking about that distance with Notre Dame might make a little bit of a difference. But certainly, this would be a game changing type recruit. Brian Kelly was still out and about some more. All the assistant coaches were really. Give me a quick rundown of some of these other stops that BK made this week. Um, actually, they continue to really hunt down top offensive linemen. We've talked about a few in the past. I'm going to run them down and just give me a quick clip on them. Well, what's this Nolan Rucci dude all about? It's going to be even a tough pull from Pennsylvania. He's from the heart of Pennsylvania. Uh, Penn State looks like the leader. This guy is ridiculous, 6'8", 266. Nerding definitely has a chance in this one, but he's going to be a hard pull from Penn State. Landon Tangwell? Tangwall is another one that's going to be difficult to pull from Penn State. He's much closer to Penn State than he is to Notre Dame. He's from Maryland. So, you know, he's, he's a guy that Notre Dame's very high on, along with the Rocco Spindler. They're really trying to get the pair of them to come to Notre Dame. Two other guys real quick, Mason, then we got a flight uh, into junior day here. Wide receiver Dante Thornton, what's his story? He's definitely one of the best receivers in the nation. Uh, a kind of guy that Notre Dame's missed on in the past. He's Six four and a half, one eighty five, a big go and get it kind of receiver. Reminds me a lot of a better Chase Claypool, if you can imagine that. Wow, Think more size already, and uh, if you can imagine him getting in the weight room and just getting even bigger. But 
Uh, I, I think Notre Dame has a shot on this one, but I don't think it's likely. For sure. And then I heard a lot of ravings about the safety, Derek Davis. Yeah, they do like him a lot. Derek Davis Jr. out of Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Another Pennsylvania guy. Notre Dame's hitting Pennsylvania hard, and it's hard to pull those guys away from Penn State. Penn State's a big hitter in this one as well as Clemson. It seems to be between Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Penn State. Ohio State's churning out safeties and corners into into the NFL on a, at a ridiculous rate, and Penn State is as well. So, And then it's hard to turn away the Clemson won national championship two of the last three right. years. So you know, Notre Dame definitely has a shot in this one. If, if they can they can pitch playing time, no doubt about it, but it's, it's a tough pull. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Mason, let's make a quick fly-by junior day here. We still have a lot to get to. How did it go? Well, I know one recruit came out of it, Justin Walters, a six foot two, one hundred safety, uh, one hundred seventy pound, three star safety. Let's start with him. What can you tell me about Justin Walters? Yeah, Walters out of Bolingbrook, Illinois, not too far from Chicago, not too far from South Bend, actually. Walters is your prototypical, is big safety, real lengthy, and he's a hard hitter. Reminds me of a a, a bigger, you know, a taller Alohi Gilman. We don't know if he has that mindset that everybody loved that Gilman had, but he he hits just as hard as Gilman did, and that's what really intrigued Notre Dame about him. His his ball skills might need a little bit of work. He's quick, but yeah, his big hitting ability is huge. He's going to come in and compete right away. I think um, if a couple of the safeties Notre Dame's recruiting in the past couple classes don't really work out, you know, Cam Hart, no one really knows what's going on with him. Right, right. Um, just, they're hoping Walters is a hit. You know, safety and corner has been an issue in the past, but if he if he can slide in next to Kyle Hamilton. That's, that's something. Yeah, that it is a nice one-two punch there. Did anything else? Did they plant any roots, or did what? What were some other maybe storylines that came out of Junior Day this past weekend? Uh, uh, some big surprise with defensive end David Abiara, who uh, many thought was com- uh, was going to commit to Notre Dame today. He kind of came out of nowhere. He visited, and or initially it looked like he was set to go to Oklahoma. He's completely set on it, but Notre Dame, not quite a flip because he wasn't committed, but Abiara visited, loved it, and he tweeted out that big announcement on Fridays. Everybody's kind of sitting on their hands anxiously waiting, and he just ended up narrowing down to a top seven. But Notre Dame's definitely the leader in this one. It turns out his family wants him to take some more time to, for his decision, so you got to respect that. But uh, yeah, it sounds like Notre Dame leads for Abiara, and this guy just an absolutely massive defensive end, and Mike Elson's really recruiting the defensive end position well. Another guy you'd love to get in that room. Uh, Oklahoma probably doesn't appreciate the patience too much. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> Mason, we did the uh, offensive breakdown, the offensive depth chart breakdown, kind of a two deep. Let's get to the defense this week. I think it's interesting because there are some big losses. When I went down that combine list, I mentioned Elliott and Pride and Gilman and Aquara and Kareem. All those shoes have to be filled here. So let's start with defensive end. Dalen Hayes will start, and I believe Ade Ogundeji will start on the other side. Um, a couple redshirt seniors, a couple 50-year guys here. Dalen Hayes was a five-star recruit coming out of Michigan there. A lot was expected of him. Hasn't quite lived up to it yet. An injury is really what gave him this 50-year opportunity. I think it's the best thing that could have happened to him. I personally believe that this defensive line will end up being the biggest surprise on all of Notre Dame. I, in my opinion, I thought Aquara and Kareem underachieved a little bit. I love these two at defensive ends, and I think they're going to be impactful and make big strides. I do, too, and I think they play with a chip on their shoulder. Right. I think last season everybody built 
Aquara and Kareem up to be, you know, the best defensive end pairing in the nation. It didn't really turn out to be that way. Aquara didn't look in any sort of interested in stopping the run. He wanted to get to the quarterback, which is understandable. But you gotta you gotta play your position. Um, I think Dalen Hayes returning is absolutely huge. You know, it's it's horrible that he suffered that injury, but at the same time, I think he was he starts on just about any other team right. in the nation. He's sitting on the bench for their name only playing on third down and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that this he can certainly still be an NFL guy. Defensive tackle, another position that I think is steady and solid. Talk about Myron Tagaveola Amosa. He's a redshirt junior. I, I I like him because he had to recover from injury as a sophomore, then played last year. I think sometimes it takes that full year to get gone. I think he's gonna have a breakout year. And Kurt Heinish is Kurt Heinish. You know, he's gonna do his thing. So I think that's in pretty good shape too. Moving on to the linebackers. Drew White, the, at Mike linebacker last year, I think was the biggest surprise of any of these guys. Nobody expected him to even start. He ends up tied for lead tackle, uh, leading team tackler with 80. Did a really good job. I, I think Drew White was a little bit as, of a surprise. Jordan Jenmark Heath, he's back as well. Kind of been an underachiever, but I think he's a terrific athlete. I could he, I think at Buck, he could be another player. But if you're going to talk about linebackers, you have to go to Rover, where you're talking about Jeremiah Wusakoromoa. He was a beast, and we really saw it in the Camping World Bowl. He tied with White for 80 tackles. When you look at the starting linebacker crew, Mason, what jumps out at you? I love what we're looking at right now. I love what you have with the Mike and the Rover. I think the Buck is a question mark. The Jack Lamb suffered an injury last right. season, hurt his hip real bad. Um, Jen Marquise, it hasn't happened for him yet, although I, I love what I've been hearing about Maris Leofau and Ophita Aquano, both guys that are going to challenge Lamb for that, potentially for that starting position. I don't know where the where the correct spot is for Jen Marquise. He has a, a chance to make a move, and he's going to need to make a move if he wants to end playing time in Notre Dame. Um, I think the, that Buck linebacker position is something that would be interesting to follow. Yeah, and, and Bo Bauer, you know, you, you can't talk about linebackers without mentioning him. Certainly he's an up-and-comer. Paul Maola, he was an interesting story. He was just kind of a feel-good pen kid. I don't know if they even expected to get a lot of him out of him. He's ended up being a nice player, and he's. He, I think they're getting more out of him than they ever expected. So they do have a little bit of depth at that position as well. Moving now to cornerback, which we've talked about at length, is probably the position group of most question here. Your starters are likely going to be Tariq Bracey and Sean Crawford. I think your backups at this point look like K.J. Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford. Okay, well, the good news is Tariq Bracey had some playing time last year, obviously, quite a bit of playing time. Sean Crawford is a six-year guy. If he can stay healthy, certainly it's nice to have him back because there's not a whole heck of a lot behind him. I worry about Crawford's health. I worry about the lack of experience behind him. I mentioned Wallace and Rutherford. These guys have no really meaningful snaps. I'm worried about this position group. Somebody's going to have to step up. Who the heck is it going to be, Mason? It's definitely interesting. Sean Crawford's going to be what Sean Crawford is, but he needs to stay healthy is a problem. I think KJ Wallace is a guy that's got to take a step and really potentially get himself starting over Trey Gracie. KJ Wallace, I think he's the real deal. Bracey has done it, but not done it consistently. So, yeah, Wallace is my pick to click for sure. When I did a, I did a story, it's a point-counterpoint that I do with Lou Samoji, my editor at Blue and Gold Illustrated, and we talked about what player that Notre Dame lost from last year's team will have the biggest impact and will be toughest to replace. He went with Chase Claypool. I went with Troy Pride Jr. I mean, wide receivers to me are a little bit more expendable, a little bit more of a dime a dozen. 
when you're talking about true, when you're talking about Troy Pride Jr. and the quality of play that he brought, I think he's going to be tougher to replace. Safety's another one. You're talking about two team captains here and losing Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott. Strong leaders, strong productive players as well. Certainly, you start with Kyle Hamilton right there, and you bring in Isaiah Pryor. I think the the graduate transfer from Ohio State will earn the starting spot. I guess Houston Griffith is back at safety now. Could could he make a run for the starting spot? I don't know, but I don't mind this Hamilton Pryor duo to start with, even though they're trying to fill big shoes with Gilman and Elliott. I've heard that Kyle Hamilton guy is pretty decent at football, so I think they might be set there. If Pryor goes into the season and takes the spot at starting safety, I think there is a small chance that Griffith moves out to that field cornerback position and tries to battle Trey Bracey. Yeah. Um, they, they've been cross-training him for a couple of years now between safety and corner, and then they hopefully they really see what they have in Litchfield Adjuvant. He's a highly recruited safety. He's coming into a sophomore season, looked out of place last season in the practices that we saw, Todd, but uh, hopefully he's kind of got to figure it out and make the jump. Yeah, Hamilton, uh, yeah, he is pretty good. He led Notre Dame last year in you know really limited time, I think one start and more of a situational player with four interceptions and tot- and 10 total passes defended. Special teams, Notre Dame got some good work that they weren't sure in the preseason if they were going to get. Both kicker Jonathan Doerr and punter Jay Bramlett. So I think Notre Dame is in good hands there. We should move on to some hoops here because actually, Mason, we don't have to just give it a flyby anymore. Typically, it's just been the end of the show, last 30 seconds type of thing. But with Notre Dame's 80-72 win over Pitt on Wednesday, talking about the men here, they now have won three straight games. They they held serve during their three-game homestand, moved to 14-8 and overall, 5-6 and six in the ACC, which may not sound like a whole heck of a lot, but this thing is pretty jumbled up for sure. And when Notre Dame at one point was 1-4, and 1-4 and four in the ACC, and headed to a road game at Georgia Tech, I think they'll sign up for 5-6 and six big time. The big storyline here, Mason, has been they're finally scoring the ball. I remember back in the day, you know, really during the early part of the conference season, Mike Bray even admitted kind of a marketing sales job that he was trying to do here, calling this the best defensive team that he had ever <laughs> that he had ever coached. And the reason he was calling it the best defensive team that he had ever coached was because they couldn't even score 70 points. 65 against North Carolina, 63 against Presbyterian. 64 against Toledo in an overtime game. The list goes on and on. I won't bore you with all of it, but 51 against Maryland. Well, now Notre Dame has scored 80 points in five straight games. It's the first time Mike Bray has ever done that, scored 80 points in an ACC game five times in a row. So it shows you they're scoring the ball. They've scored 75 or more in six straight, which they're 4-2 and two during those games. That's a Mike Bray profile for a team. They've moved up to number two in scoring, but now... Mr. Mason, it gets tricky, okay? So they survived at home. Good thing they did. But now they get to go to Clemson on Sunday, 6 p.m. ACC Network. And then two days later, they go to reigning national champion Virginia, who's obviously not up to par right now, but still any road game's a tough game. And then they go to Duke on Saturday. So in six days, three tough road games. And here's Mike Bray actually saying, he's calling it, uh, well, well, I'll just let Mike Bray speak for himself. Did what we needed to do here, and now, you know, we'll deal with this road thing. But we look at that. The road thing needs to be looked at as opportunity, not, oh, my God, look at what's coming. I know it's the toughest stretch we've ever probably played in the history of our program, but it's opportunity, especially after what we did here to get back to five and six. So 
Uh, we need a little rest, and then we'll go deal with Clemson, Virginia first. I'm excited about it, especially because of how we're playing and what we did in this homestand. And we just need to look at it, man. We got we got chances, man. Because if you look, I don't know what our our net was 61 today. Our BPI was fifth. We're all it's all we're all within striking distance, especially after getting these three. So. If we could keep plugging along and picking some off, we can be we can be right there. And I tell you, at one and four, going to Atlanta, we're a long way from one and four on that plane to Atlanta. I'm thinking like this is gonna this could get real interesting. So proud of our group. Mason, that is a heck of a tough stretch there. I don't think the schedule makers did Notre Dame any favors there at Clemson, at Virginia, and at Duke in six days. Can Notre Dame get one or two of these? I think they're gonna have to if they're serious about making a run. For the NCAA tournament, you know, they've had this this hot streak everybody likes talking about, but that's against three of the worst teams, if not the worst teams in the ACC, whether you like it or not. So, right. you know, you got to win. If you win two of those, you're in great shape, but I think winning one is vital. Yeah, and I think that one could come in Clemson uh, right here on Sunday, 6 p.m. again. Uh, Clemson's 11-11, and 5-7 and seven in the league. It's jumbled up. Right now, Notre Dame sits in seventh place in the ACC this is probably only going to be a five, maybe even only a four-team bid-type league. I think five would probably be, and, and perhaps six, perhaps six. So you're right. Notre Dame at least has to get one of these. If it if it drops back down to five and nine, then, then it's going to be really tough to claw back out of that, even though the schedule lightens up at the end of this. Quick fly by the women's hoops here. Rolling along, two road wins in a row, 59-51 at Georgia Tech last week, and then followed that up with a 75-70 win at Wake Forest, nine and fourteen overall, four and seven ACC, only three and eight at home. That's hard to believe. And they are home against Pitt on Sunday, four p.m. out here at Purcell Pavilion. They should get that one too and extend that winning streak to three games. You would hope. Pitt is one and ten in conference, four and eighteen overall. And then the women play at Boston College Thursday, February thirteenth. Hockey team, pretty good weekend. Still only 12, 11, and 5. 12 wins, 11 losses, 5 ties. They did earn a win and a tie at number 8, Penn State. Not not bad work on the road there. They'll be home against Minnesota this week for that two-game weekend series. Mason, uh, I can't believe it. We're out of time. I'm going to have to buck for an hour show here because there's so much more we could cover. He's Mason Plummer. You can find him on Twitter at MasonPlummer6, and you can find his work at at slapdesign.com. I'm Todd Burlage. You can find me on blueandgold.com or at Todd Burlage on Twitter. Mason, you the man. Thanks, man, for all your great recruiting breakdown. You do a great job. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Todd. All right, we'll talk next week, my friend. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.